Fully Loaded Chew is tobacco-free, long-cut, and pouches that gives you the same pack, dip, spit, and buzz that you're used to without tobacco. Fully Loaded Chew comes in nine flavors and is made with all food-grade ingredients and tobacco-free nicotine, the purest form of nicotine there is. To give us a try, head on over to FullyLoadedChew.com for a $1 can of chew with free shipping when you enter the code OUTDOOR1. O-U-T-D-O-O-R and the number one. Lastly, many outdoorsmen are trying to quit tobacco altogether and Fully Loaded Chew may be that first step. For more information on our product line, visit FullyLoadedChew.com. Check out Dogs Are Treat at DogsAreTreat.com and if you go to their website at checkout and enter the code HXP20% off, you will get 20% off of your entire order on all of their branded products. Leashes, tie-outs, medical kits, paws are protected. Build your pack from the ground up and support a fellow houndsman that supports your lifestyle. Enter the code HXP20% off at checkout. Go to their website today at dogsartree.com. This is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Yeah! 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 Good boy! Good boy, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week can you spend out As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get I'm I'm out there. Join us for every heart pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else, I'm gonna hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. <laughs> Hey folks, we have got a really good show for you this week. I'm not going to spend a lot of time explaining what it is. I set it up at the beginning, but I'll just give you a couple teasers here. Are you prepared to talk about why you hunt with hounds? Are you informed about current events in the hunting community? We're going to address some of the, the most recent hot topics in the hunting community right now. And we're going to do it in a way that is open. It's going to be in-your-face type stuff. We don't, we don't hold anything back. We've got a great guest that joins us. And it's going to be, these section, segments are going to be called Point Blank. So you're going to want to watch for those in the future. And we, we get serious, but we also have a lot of fun. 
And I just want to encourage every one of you that is listening that has not done so, please go to Apple Podcasts and give us a rating if you haven't done that. And um, it really helps us out in our ratings every week, and it's a huge help for us. So we would appreciate if you would do that. Go Go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. I also want to encourage you to follow us on our social media platforms. On Facebook, we have Houndsman XP Podcast, which is our media page where we post a lot of stuff. Uh, not a big discussion, but we've also got the Houndsman XP group, and that community is growing every day. And a couple things about going to the group. Please go all the way through and answer the questions. We have been... Uh, just like every hunting group, we have had trolls try to come into our group. We feel like it is our responsibility to protect our hound hunting community and protect you from exposure from these trolls. So if you don't answer the questions, and I don't know you personally, or we can't, we don't know people that can vouch for you, you ain't getting in. So just want to make sure that you answer those questions but join us on our social media platforms we're also on instagram lauren is doing a great job of of posting all kinds of great articles and news articles and and just all kinds of stuff there so really want to encourage you to follow us on our social media platforms we're also going to be rolling out some exciting news about a very special uh giveaway where we're going to be doing a drawing in September for some cool gear. So you're going to want to follow us there so you can know how to get involved and have a chance to walk away with some pretty cool gear. I'm not going to drag this out real long. We've got a hot track. It's a box shaker, and it's time to dump the box. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine is the most comprehensive magazine that represents your lifestyle as a houndsman. If you can hunt it with a hound, it is being covered in the pages of Southern Hound Hunting Magazine. You also get an in-depth look at the men and women who are engaged in this lifestyle, living it every day to the fullest. From the Rocky Mountains to the Southern Swamps and across the ocean with articles about our international houndsmen and what they're chasing across the pond. Go to southernhoundhunting.com, get your subscription for $15 a year. Southern Hound Hunting Magazine, promoting the fair chase experience. Welcome to the Houndsman XP podcast for a new edition to the show. And this is called Point Blank. We kind of came on this whole concept by accident. I actually called a uh, an episode with Casey Stutzman a couple weeks ago, point blank, and it just kind of grew from there. I thought, you know, let's just have more of these open discussions about things that relate to hounds. So I've got uh, the Houndsman XP mob. We've got Lauren, Queen of Chaos, Veranny on the mic again. Mother of chaos. Mother, mother, mother of chaos. Mother of, I'm sorry. Okay, so that's the official title is Mother of Chaos. And we've got Seth, Rodent Brain, 
Paul. <laughs> I knew you were going to say Ronan yeah. Prager. Yes. You should have never put that out on the group group chat that you've got a rodent brain because now you've got a handle. Yes, and, sir. And we've got a we've got a guest. We've got Becky Dwyer. And Becky, you don't have a handle unless you've got one that we don't know about. Well, that's probably not appropriate for radio, so <laughs> <laughs> oh. Becky, There's I'm... probably been some in- interesting names you've been called on the mountain by Cleve. <laughs> And a lot of other places, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But the purpose of the show is to just take some, uh, you know, current news and go through some articles and talk about some of the things that are happening in the outdoor world. Uh, but I'm going to start this show off a little bit different. Uh, hopefully we can do it like this every time if it works out. We're kind of feeling our way through this thing. But uh, so it's just a good old fashioned talk that people have in the hunting community uh we see we see articles we see different posts on social media and a lot of us weigh in on them and so we wanted to weigh in on some of those too and kind of kind of give our opinions on some of these things and but i'm going to start it off with a question for our crew and becky i'm going to start with you so i want to know why you hunt and specifically why you enjoy hunting with hounds oh a lot of reasons i mean i guess if we're going going in order not to sound cliche but the experience of it and being out with my dogs and it allows me to combine a lot of passions that i have into one thing um being out in the mountains working dogs getting to see things that other people don't see, generally speaking, say, you know, mountain lions, bears up close, things of that nature. Um, it doesn't really have anything to do with the killing or kind of what the antis paint the picture of hunters as. Okay. All right. Uh, and I, I probably didn't set, maybe didn't set that up well enough so i'm going to give you another swing at it but you're talking to a person that is not in the hunting community somebody that's not anti-hunting but say you're at the fish and wildlife commit committee meeting and a rule maker asks you that question let's let's frame it like that how are you going to portray yourself the reasons that becky dwyer hunts okay so the reasons that i hunt personally is being able to spend time out in the in the hills with my dogs and get away from the the hustle and bustle of every day and turn my phone off and just be able to really focus on getting back to nature and enjoying it and like I said spending time with my dogs increasing that bond being able to fill to fulfill their needs mentally physically instinctually as well kind of coming decompressing a little bit if that makes sense yeah yeah Lauren, what do you got? Lauren, what do you got? I, uh, I mean, I'm going to copycat Becky in a lot of it, I think. Um, I hunt because being out in nature makes me happy. I've always been a nature girl. I've been that weirdo that collects bugs and, you know, identifies trees and pl- flowers and all that stuff. And to be able to see like Becky said, what not a lot of people see. And and for me, what opened my eyes is being out at night and all the things that you hear and you see and you just appreciate. 
on a deeper level because that's what you're focused on and you just see certain things at night and just to be able to to see a creature and and tree it and free it and just appreciate what we're able to do with our dogs and to see them happy and fulfilled and doing what they're bred for is what I'm bred for <laughs> really um like I don't I don't do it for killing I've never killed a bear I've never killed anything um but a raccoon and that's pretty much it because my dogs deserved it in that moment and they did a good job and um or the farmer asked me to mm-hmm all right, so Ro- I don't. No. Yeah, you, you. Is that good? Yeah, that's good. I'll have I'll have some follow up questions on these, but I because I, I, I want to ask them. But Seth, let's hear it, so, man. Well, I've always been an animal nerd, and uh, when I was a kid, I had access to a lot of public land and and a BB gun when I was a young kid, and it was just kind of a natural progression. But I quickly learned when I was a child that there's no better way to commune with nature than to be a hunter because Nobody knows animals better than hunters do, either in the scientific terms or in just general wisdom of the land and the wildlife. And I was quickly learning that you're a silent witness to the natural world's coming and goings when you're hunting. And uh, that really just drew me into it deeper and deeper. And honestly, the the mystique and kind of the nostalgic feeling that I got when I was creeping around in the cottonwood forest or in the desert with a rifle in my hand uh, really just felt amazing. And uh, when I looked down at my shadow, I would see that, you know, young man carrying a weapon and in search of some animal. And it just felt like that was the shadow that was casted by people for thousands of years or at least hundreds of years in firearms since. But it just really, really kept drawing me in deeper and deeper and increasing skills like tracking and marksmanship and just general desert survival and um, coexistence with nature on a way deeper level getting closer to your food um as an adult that meant a lot more to me than as a child and uh as i've grown more and and gotten a lot more into big game hunting being a lot closer to the food that i eat is really really important to me and uh, that comes from all aspects of hunting and i've always had a deep um love and affection for dogs and um, as i grew i had a opportunity to own hunting dogs and uh it just was a passion of mine, two passions of mine that kind of met and it just went from there. And I think also, um, being a meaningful part of conservation through like your tags and the Pittman Robertson acts funds generated is really massively important to me. And as a hunter, I know that I'm directly contributing to the perpetuation of North American wildlife. And that means a lot to me and the protection of the land they live in. So it's kind of a whole world of feelings and, and, um, traditions and um, even financial contributions to uh, keeping a really important part of humanity alive. And, and that's the pursuit of game. Okay. So, so I've got a, the follow up to that would be, you know, I hear getting back to nature, all that stuff, but, but couldn't we say that you could do that without hunting, without hounds, without keeping, keeping hounds to pursue game and put them under stress and, you know, you have anything to add to that? Well, I, I have a hard time eating a photo like a photograph. You know what I mean? That's tough. Yeah. That's yeah. the first part. <laughs> um, but also, um, you can, I suppose, but a photographer obviously can have all the skills that a high level hunter can, but there is that next step that hunting 
has to have that other forms of like wildlife viewing don't. And that, you know, that comes down to marksmanship and butchery and all these other important and, you know, self-control in the heat of the moment, you know, controlling that buck fever. And, and in the case of hounds, there's this extreme deep knowledge base of owning dogs, maintaining dogs, keeping dogs healthy. And in the case of scent hounds, listening to what they're telling you at long range there's so much more deeper knowledge of the outdoors that you get through hunting and and from personal experiences, both a biologist and as a hunter and uh, as just a lover of all things wildlife and the natural world, being a hunter, it just gets you into this much deeper level than just a casual wildlife viewer ever will. And dogs take you to even a next level. That was one of the things that drew that drew me to them the most because even at work or even when you're tracking these cryptic animals that are hard to find, dogs take you to the places they live you know what i mean you don't just spend time glassing and moving around you're you're following those dogs into some amazing places that you probably wouldn't want to go otherwise and and i think dogs are a great avenue into that incredibly secretive world that some of these animals that we pursue are just by the very nature yeah becky what do you say I'd say Aldo Leopold over here thinks on his feet a whole lot faster than I do when it comes yeah. to the questions. <laughs> I have a lot of time Honestly, to think about these things. <laughs> he doesn't have a rat brain, I don't think, or a rodent brain. Rodent brain. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. though, um, you know, something you mentioned, Chris, and I kind of want to touch on for a second, is you have a lot of people say, oh, these, these animals are so stressed, and the, the, the mental and physical stress that they go through when they're being pursued. There's actually studies out there, um, Montana put out a study showing that, and it was in lions, animals that are pursued, and they did this study, you know, multiple pursuits over a set amount of time. After the first pursuit, there wasn't a significant spike in cortisol, which is the stress hormone. So basically right. it's stating that those, those lions were adapting to being chased mm-hmm. with dogs, and, and it wasn't a severely stressful incident for them. And with that that slight cortisol spike, what that actually does is improves their immune system. So it's kind of interesting, just me being the queen of weird facts. Uh, Those are the kind of weird facts we need. That's right. Well, and then, and then Chris also talked about stress on the dogs. I were you mentioning or alluding to that as well? More so the pursuit game. Right. Well, I think my question I think I think yeah I think absolutely animal animal rights people will try to say that you know the only reason those dogs are 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 doing what they're doing is because they're being forced by us to do that and given given if they were left to their own free will they would much rather you know living on couch as couch potatoes and in the air conditioning huh. but uh yeah I think we can you can add that to this conversation because I think it's tip, I think it's a very natural part of the conversation. Lauren? Absolutely. It's it's kind of interesting you say that when we were fighting with our bill, uh legislative issue that you and I had talked about in an earlier podcast, you know, a lot of the comments that were coming in were talking about that exact thing, the stress on the dogs, stress on animals. Mm-hmm. You know, dogs don't have a way, dogs can't sweat. Well, that's incorrect. Dogs actually do sweat through their feet, but they have other more effective cooling mechanisms, such as panting, you know, the things we all know. Mm -hmm. And these were the same people who were referring to bears as having childbearing ears. As having what? Child, childbearing ears. 
So oh, child, childbearing years. Anthropomorphization uh-huh. so, of, so, of the black bear. Oh, when I when I called, I I was probably a little more ignorant than I should have been, and pretty much calling them out on their lack of intelligence, we'll call it, uh, hmm. and started making the points of, well, first of all, bears aren't humans, so they don't have children; they have cubs, and and really called them out on all that. And Cleve was laughing at me. He was, said, man, you walked away from that phone call swinging your arms like Conor McGregor <laughs> ape arms walking into the ring. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, yeah. I mean, they don't have a clue. They, they really don't. Yeah. I mean, you, you take a dog, you know, you can take a hound dog, you can take a uh, border collie, you could take a beagle, you could take any animal. And if that dog has w- the breeding into it and the, the prey drive, you don't have to force it to do anything. You know, you could let your dog out and live on a farm like I do. And sooner or later, it's going to go tree a squirrel or tree a coon and trail it 80, you know, acres away. Mm-hmm. My and, pet Marshall, he's the same. You know, Marshall, Lauren, he's a yeah. poodle beagle cross and he hunts hard. And I think that's the number one way we can convince people that dogs love hunting is I I work with a lot of people that have never hunted before. Some people have straight up anti-hunting views. I take them out there. I'm I'm a very open person. I say, come join me. Come out there with me. I take them out there with me. The first thing they notice is their dogs have a blast when they come out on the prairie. They don't have a clue what they're doing. Those dogs don't know anything. They just have fun running around. And then when we get a rabbit up, yeah, those like fat dogs can't keep up with mine. Not even close, but they still have a freaking blast. And those people go, you know what? Hunting may not be for me, but I understand that, man, my dogs really had a good time. They always want to get in the car now. And this is awesome. And I'm like, yeah, it's just all about, yeah. I mean, I just really kind of cringe and and can always calmly debate that backwards. But like when you say dogs don't enjoy doing the thing that all carnivores do, which is pursue animals. Right. Like it's so silly. When you grab that tracking collar and they hear the jingle of the, the buckle, why do they get excited? Where, like, yes. they could cow- they could go cower in the corner, go in their crate, not want to come out of the kennel, but they're like, oh my gosh, this is the best thing in the world. Right, <laughs> right. Well, let me well, let me. What amuses? Go ahead, Becky. Final thought, and then I'll wrap it up on this subject. What What amuses me is it's always not super working dad, working dog, savvy people who accuse that. Sally over here can't get Fluffy to stop pooping behind the couch on rainy days because it doesn't want to go outside. And God forbid the dog knows what Sid is. But all of a sudden, we're Caesar Milan over here forcing these dogs to hunt. (laughs) (laughs) That ties into my wrap-up, really. You know, uh, the general public, the reason why I hunt and I hunt with dogs, if you look at at cave, cave wall drawings... We have got some of the earliest cave drawings involve people hunting with dogs. This is the most ancient form of hunting that we can actually document, really, um, is the use of, of dogs to pursue game. And our whole human existence would not exist without the hunter-gatherer crowd. And so... I want to be a part of that. I don't want to be an outsider letting someone else uh, prepare my meat for me or 
uh, not being involved in the most natural process. And, and what, what I tell the non-hunting, anti-hunting crowd is that I am the most connected with this nat- natural resource that we have because I'm not afraid and I'm, I've experienced what it really means to take my own food and make my own food. If somebody wants to be a non-hunter, wants to be a vegetarian, that's fine. But at the same time, they can never say that they've experienced the full gamut of being a real human being that has to reduce animals to their dinner plate where I've connected at that level. It's total respect across the board. It it really is. And that's what we're doing. And, and honestly, we know our dogs better than any of them know fluffy or Scooby or whoever it is. It's, there's a level of spirituality when, when you go to that level, then that you really can't experience any other time, not to mention the benefits the obvious, the obvious answer is here because hunters are conservationists. Hunters do, you know, put more money into conservation. But talking from the spirituality side of it, unless you have, have made the conscious decision to take the life of another, of another living being and then eat it, then that, there's, a, there's a depth of spirituality there and understanding there and a level of respect there that someone who makes an emotional decision not to do that cannot understand or even uh, really, in my opinion, speak on it. Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. I feel the same way. Yeah, you're you're so connected with your food and in, in, in such a deep level. And I agree, it is spiritual. It's every time we eat. I mean, Lauren, every time we ate Lucy, you know what I mean. We talked about it, and it was just a cow, just a just a cow. You Did you know, get it off of Craigslist? No, a friend of mine, she, it was her pet for 18 years, and uh, <laughs> it was blind and just had a bad quality of life. So it was very generous of her to actually offer her to us because it's like eating your dog. You know what I mean? That was her pet. She like loved that thing. And so, um, yeah, we, we came over and, and harvested her. But yeah, anyway, there's such a deep well, and, level And the oryx and everything that we yeah. had to hear Every your time. story and everything and to have a a freezer like yours full of wild organic game that there's a story and a meaning and a passion and years of planning that go into it. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, let's, I think this is a perfect segue into why we're doing these, but we need to be able to have those answers. We need need to be prepared as a hunting community to answer these tough questions that we get. And, and Seth, you, you hit the nail on the head. The reason you were prepared is because you've spent a lot of time thinking about it and you've, you've, re- you've practiced that and you've had those conversations with yourself while you're out there hunting of how you're going to do that. And I say that if we are planning to survive into the future, that it's imperative that all of us take that time and we all think about how we answer that question and and not be caught off guard and i wasn't trying to set anybody up but but we are the difference makers and and each one of us in this hunting community needs to be a difference maker so 
the segue in, and this is supposed to be a little bit wild and rowdy, and it's it's it's. Uh, It'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> We've got Lauren keyed up on a few few issues that she's ready to rock and roll on, and we'll pick up that conversation right after this word from our sponsor. Houndsman XP is very proud of our partnership with the organization Freedom Hunters. Freedom Hunters is a nonprofit organization that takes America's veterans hunting from field to field, from the battlefield to a field near you when you volunteer your time to take America's warriors hunting with you and your hounds. It's easy. Go to houndsmanxp.com, click on the partnership tab, and it will take you to Freedom Hunters. You can go direct to their website to make donations at freedomhunters.org. Support America's heroes. Let's pay it back. Visit Freedom Hunters at freedomhunters.org or go to houndsmanxp.com and you can find them on our website from field to field. And now back to the show. But Lauren, yeah. I, want, I want to talk about this first one. Becky, did Becky, um, did you review uh, the article about the uh, billboards in Wisconsin about real hunters don't kill wolves? It's like the third dumbest thing I've read today. What, the other two that I sent you were one and two? No, no, no. <laughs> one was how dogs that are contained via tether have a horrible life. Yeah, yeah. Well, Lauren, set so, this so, set this up for us. Yeah, so um, there's been some billboards that were installed in northern Wisconsin. There's three to four of them. There might be more going up or plan to go up. And if you go on our our group, you'll probably have to search for it. Um, but it's a billboard, and on the left hand side, it's like periwinkle background and it says real hunters don't kill wolves and then there's this beautiful photo of a wolf's face on the other side and it has um a uh paid by ethical sportsman of wisconsin and um huntersforwolves.org uh as who has put the billboard up or i guess who's behind it and I look at that and reflect on it. And I, you know, automatically, you know, that it's the anti-hunting groups posting this. It's just a shell company, if you will. Oh, it totally (laughs) is. so obvious. Yeah. Continue. So when this got put up and I saw this for the first time, I of course went to those websites and tried to find information on like, what is it? Ethical sportsman of Wisconsin. Um, Am I not an ethical sportsman? Like, that's my question. Like, how are, you know, deer hunters and turkey hunters and every other hunter that believes in wildlife management, not an ethical sportsman and real hunter? What's your definition of a real hunter? Um, so some research was done because I what I found, I just couldn't find information on those groups and a fellow houndsman in Wisconsinite did a little checking and he found links that led to green fire and national geographic. Both are anti hunting and there's a click to sign up link and it takes you to a form to fill out to get money. Cause it's just an emotional money grab. Let's be honest because 
<laughs> that's how they're funded. Um, and the tagline says friends of Wisconsin wolf and wildlife. And this is Melissa Smith. And she's been in a lot of these uh, wolf meetings with the DNR that I've seen. She hosts like fireside side tr- uh, chats um, that's anti-wolf and all those buddies. And, you know, these billboards are calling themselves ethical hunters. Well, I can tell you none of these people are even hunters to begin with. Um, and let's talk about real hunters. That's my question. Um, I mean, obviously it's all BS. All of this is BS and it's, it's an emotional grab and they're grasping at straws, but do you want to break it down with me, Seth? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's no surprise that you're going to try to use a guise of hunters against hunters. I mean, stoking divisions within a single group is a a great way to try to gain support in an echo chamber, which obviously is what they're trying to do. I mean, this is transparently weak, but I mean, you know, I think there is a segment of the population of hunters that probably would not shoot a wolf and would maybe gravitate towards that emotional sentiment. I mean, let's be honest. Hunters are an incredibly diverse group. Everyone is every group of people is. And so, an ad like that, I just feel is trying to um, obviously just divide and conquer us as a group and and publications. Well, I mean, of, of many kinds, including this one, obviously, are all about hunters need to, like we're saying, think critically and and stand united. Um, you know, break down those divisions between one another. And this is just a clear act of of um, emotional grabbing, like you were saying. I, I it's very simple. And, I, yeah, and it's it's just. Let's say there are hunters out there that wouldn't shoot a wolf. And you know what? If you don't want to, that's okay. And I'm thinking maybe people that aren't impacted by wolf, wolves, like water migrating water, waterfowl hunters, maybe don't have as much of uh, impact um, or association with how a wolf... Um, Their lives aren't affected... Their, right. you know, their, their no passions aren't affected by the wolf like a right. houndsman or like Becky is out there with, you know, where she's got elk hunters and mule deer hunters. She's, she's living in that area too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, that's just, that's one thing that's out there. And of course, every major news thing in, in Wisconsin picked up the Wisconsin or the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel reported on it first. And of course you've got to pay in order to see the whole article. <laughs> that they wow, wrote yeah. um but yeah so you know i brought it to your attention i don't know if anyone wants to else to, wants to comment on the matter and how how uh like you said shell companies how sneaky they are yeah on what they're portraying becky have you commented on it yet i had to step away there for just a second i mean i'm pretty much going to echo everything that uh lauren and seth have said and it is interesting to me the difference in I don't want to say the intensity I'm not really sure the, the correct word to use um, but the difference in western wolf and say eastern wolf people whether they're they're for or against um, you got that right absolutely it it's really quite interesting and I think you do have a bigger demographic of hunters back there who are going to not be so heated um, about the wolf issue. 
Mm-hmm. But it, it's also interesting to me that the antis are, now it's false, but they're trying to allude to the public that they do give hunters enough credit that, oh, well, this hunter's okay because he doesn't want to shoot a wolf. Well, ecologically, what's the difference between shooting a wolf, a deer, an elk, a moose, a bear? I mean, so that's that's what I was going to bring up. So hunters, so they're saying that there are real hunters out there, and real hunters harvest animals and take them and process their meat and use them and all that stuff. So what's the difference? If an animal needs to be managed, it needs to be managed. So what's the difference? You know, I, th- I think I was going to interject there, and, and I agree with you, um, Becky, that there is a massive difference between the East and the West wolf issue. And, and just I'm, I'm not going to go into my experiences with it peripherally because it's, you know, it's changes so much by region. I want to keep it focused. But, um, you know, the anti-wolf crowd in the West is super strong and the anti the pro-wolf crowd in the East seems to be a lot super strong. So, um <laughs> Oh, what what are you drinking there, Chris? What do you got there, bud? I'm drinking Pendleton. At first, I thought it was from Tito. I thought it was Tito's from far away. It kind of looked like vodka. I'm like, he's not a vodka man. I've got Tito's in the in the cabinet there. Hey, you see, that was a squirrel. That was a rodent brain moment right there. That's an ADD rodent brain moment. Right in the middle of my conversation, I'm like, beer, alcohol. What are we talking about here? Yeah, that was one (laughs) of the rules to the to the whole conversation was drink of your choice. Cigars are optional, and I didn't have any cohibos, so I had (laughs) I had a little bit of milk before we started recording, and then I switched to Bush Light. So I'm going full Wisconsin mode. I saw the Bush Light. I was like, (laughs) (laughs) that's like the brown cow beer. That thing tasted like it had milk in it. What was that thing called? Was it called a brown cow? Spotted cow. Spotted cow. That thing is crap, Seth. <laughs> Don't get lured in by the spotted cow when you get to it's, Wisconsin. Look how lame a- I am. Do you see what this is? Exactly. Moonshine. No, that's water. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. My, my point is just a, is a grinding wheel of, of what we've kind of already discussed. So I'm going to leave it there. But... Um, yeah, it, it's just an emotional money grab as many things are in this world. And I'm, I'm going to leave it there actually. You know, it's just, it's just a typical green decoy type thing. You know, let's produce something that looks like we, we are in touch with reality and they use deception. They'll use that crowd will use whatever tactics are necessary to accomplish their goals. You know, I would like to see like the guiding principles behind the groups that put that up. Would it be honesty, yeah. integrity, you know, truth, truth and advertising? You know, <laughs> what it, what do you stand for and, and where are yeah. you really at? I, I feel like any ideologic group does that. And they just happen to be an extreme ideologue in this in this case of of. Science think versus about, ideology. Think about how they you are would, the ideology. I think feel. about how you would feel though. Think about this. Okay, you get this call from a telemarketer. You're seventy some years old. Your kid. You're you're you've hunted your whole life. Your family hunts, and it's like, hey, we are a hunting group, and we're going to put advertise, uh, you know, about the wolf issue, and then come to find out that you've been duped. Talk about a telephone scam. Yeah, seriously. That's seriously. So dirty. It's so dirty. It's just so dirty. There's just I no other question word for it. I have. We don't play dirty games hey, like Becky, that, Be- I don't think. Hey, Becky's got a question. You guys just can't hear her as well as I can. Yeah, qu- go, it's, Becky. 
it's something interesting to me, and it's something I've I've often thought about and looked at with a few groups. Why doesn't the hunting crowd put up? Why, why doesn't the pro hunting crowd and the conservation crowd put up billboards? Yeah, uh, and Shorty, Shorty, and us were talking about it, and he even posted, I think, on on um, one of the one of the posts that I put on our group is why aren't we on the offense enough? We're always playing defense and you can't win unless you have a good offense. Right. That's, that's why Wisconsin bear hunters association is next level. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that was, that is some absolute inspiring levels of organization. I really loved that episode. Yeah, man. But it's, it's all kind of behind the scenes though it, too. But, I mean, we're getting it done behind the scenes. It's because it's because, and I've said this before: the hunting community is ten years behind the current trends in social media, public information. You know, working the working the system to their advantage, and that's the hunting community. You can tack on another five to ten years for the hound hunting community. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm not. That's not. That's nothing disparaging. That's just we. It, our next level when it comes to, comes to our involvement with our lifestyle. I mean, we want to be out there hunting. We don't want to be distracted by all this other stuff. We just want to be left alone. That's what we want to be. But yet, we've come to a point where we can't be left alone anymore. We've got to start finding ways to be like Wisconsin bear hunters, Michigan bear hunters, you know, some of these proactive groups that are taking the fight to them. Hunter Nation, Sportsman's Alliance. We've got yeah, definitely. We've got to be at that level and we've got to take I've said it on the podcast before, we've got to take time to come off the mountain, out of the woods, out of the swamps, be informed and be ready to talk about these things and fight for what we have and and in a way that that is effective. So how much do billboards cost? Yeah, um, <laughs> I think it depends on your on your area. Um, I had looked into it at one point. I believe it was about nine hundred for fifteen or thirty days, or or something along that that line. But that just brings up another point of how outgunned we are money wise. Yeah, yeah, every. That's I mean, true. not not to. Um, probably someone's probably going to come after me for this, making oh, that was a such and such comment. But it's the true. majority of the anti hunting group is middle-aged white women with more money than common sense <laughs> and emotions and more emotions than anyone else you know yeah you know, and you you can't i mean we cannot compete with that financially so we have to put the money where it's going to do the best good and i think a lot of times that's one of the the disagreement points is where does it do the most good and at what point do we kind of fight fire with fire and stop um Stop relying on just facts. People don't care about facts. I, I had done a, uh, I go around and I do some talks at some educational institutes um, with wildlife management classes and whatnot. And I was doing a class. It, it went great. We had a good talk. And afterwards, the person who helped me organize it, he, he was the, the professor, said this, you know, this was awesome, really good job, this, that, and the other. Maybe next time, don't do so many scientific fact use emotion mm. you could have knocked me over with a feather hmm. and this was in a wildlife management class yeah. These are the people that will be making oh, it was in a wildlife management class too yep mm-hmm. 
Wow. I just wonder how many of those people were taking that as an elective or if that was their major, though. Yeah, I mean, that professor would have got slapped in the face in my area, like, for that comment. Yeah, but. I mean, and, and he's a hunter. He's pro-hound hunter. He's, he's a hunter. He's just one of those, like, you know, half these kids are going to be going into wildlife rehab stuff. Half of them are going to be, you know, conservation officers, biologists, all that. And, and, you know, one of the problems that we run into in that aspect was kind of going off on a little bit of a tangent. Um, That's what this show's for, is tangents. The, the people who are getting into this don't come from a wildlife background anymore. Well, part of, who part, are of that, in, part of that, Becky, is because of the way that um, the recruiting is done by these agencies. You know, when, when mm-hmm. you look at, when you look at recruitment for, uh, recruiting, it was one of the, was one of the hot button topics for conservation officers in the state of Indiana. You know, we want to get the right qualified people. Uh, you want the right type of person, but how do you recruit for that person? So there's a lot of, lot of sideline things that come in like benefits, pay, you know, you've got to find a way to make this thing attractive for those type of people because let's face it when you take you take a guy that can go work um you know my son's a a tool and die maker you know he gets he gets his journeyman tool and die making he can make a lot more money than he can as a conservation officer and then have the money that he love that he needs to go enjoy those types of things and you take oil rig workers you take all these people these skilled tradesmen that can can pound it out on the overtime and take three months off to hunt you know why would i want to be a conservation officer because i've got to be out there working why do i want to be a biologist and making you know well pennies on the dollar that i can make in other careers look at it Look at our followers when you posted, you know, show me, you know, what you do to be able to hunt with your dogs or however you phrased it. You know, there's a lot of people that posted that were tradesmen. I'm you one bet. of two, one of two that probably posted, you know, man, eh, just type on my computer all day. That was you. <laughs> that was me. Becky Don't Dwyer's worry, building fence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So. So let's wrap this thing up on the on the uh, billboard issue. We kind of got off topic there a little bit, but you know it's it's an emotional plea for the unaware person to get an emo- invoke an emotional response from that billboard. That's what it boils down to, and we have to be prepared for the Memorial Day picnic coming up or the 4th of July picnic coming up when the topic comes up. Hey, did you see that thing on the internet about, about wolves, about, you know, hunters supporting not hunting wolves? Didn't you hunt wolves last fall? We've got to be prepared for that conversation at all times. Definitely. So what's the next topic? Next topic we're going to segue into is, oh, it's a wolf issue. Another one. Whoa, don't, don't. This must be coming straight out of Wisconsin on wolf <laughs> issues. And Lauren, this was an article mm, that you submitted. I wonder. Yeah. This was an article you submitted as well. And uh, lay it out and you and Seth go at it because you guys were going back and forth on the group group chat pretty hard on this. You know, Seth is going to be the major player in this conversation on this. Um, and I'm, but... I, I read some of it and I'm just going to call bullshit on it now but go ahead Seth go ahead Lauren lay it out and then I'll argue with Seth too 
All right. So the general title of all of these news articles is Gray Wolves Scare Deer and Reduce Auto Crashes 24%, study says. Um, Wolves Scare Deer and Reduce Auto Collisions 24%. Um, Like, oh, my God. It was posted to pretty much every news station in Wisconsin. Florida News has picked it up. Um, you know, Wolf. Uh, yeah, because they've got I a lot of investment it. in wolves. <laughs> right? Mm. It's yeah. clickbait is what it is. Um, and uh, Associated Press, ABC News, they all picked this story up. And it's a misleading headline, y'all. It is misinformation distant whatever you call it disinformation and i saw it and i was like are you bleeping kidding me way to keep it pg-13 so i am automatically pull up one of these articles and i start reading it and i'm like no like it's like that that TikTok sound that's like, oh no, oh no, oh no, 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 no. Yeah. So okay, so what are you basing your your uh, analysis on with with the way you feel about that article, Lauren? Um, well, uh, I have a lot of experience with wolves in wolf areas, hunting around wolves, and in in what is supposed to be heavy deer areas or used to be heavy deer areas. And what they're seeing is that wolves are patrolling these roads where these uh, roadkill would usually happen. And it's decreasing because of this patrolling that the wolves are doing. And I'm like, like I'm like in my brain, it's just like, and all these pictures and like um, photographic memories are going through my head of me looking for tracks and I'm seeing deer tracks next to wolf tracks next to deer tracks next to wolf tracks. Oh, there's a bear track. Is that a dog or a deer? There's a deer. There's a wolf. I'm like, you know what? If they're all patrolling this and the deer are supposed to be scared, huh? All right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, wait, wait. And then I also thought I've been talking to so many hunters and I actually was at breakfast. I think it was Saturday morning at the local mom and pop diner and i talked to a bunch of old men and they used to hunt up north and they're seeing the decline and now they moved down south and they're like now that we moved down here we're seeing so much more pressure from other hunters because they they're not going up north anymore because there's nothing up there um so that's what i'm basing it off of and there's uh i tried to find the data and and seth will go into this later so i you know they link they say the word study and they link it, which of course nobody is going to go to. All they're going to do is read the article that is biased and only go there. <laughs> picks, yeah, and only picks and chooses. And I couldn't find the data. And Seth had probably spent hours then finally finding some data on it. Go, Seth. All right. Um, I I'm going to start off by saying very clearly that uh, I'm coming at this from a very peripheral biology standpoint and again i spent probably 45 minutes maybe using google scholar to round up a lot of peer-reviewed literature on wolf road interactions across the world found some articles from finland found some articles from minnesota found an article uh in alaska montana and then i found this one as well um it's being hosted by pnas which is like a 
data aggregation like website for the Institute of Science. Uh, anyway, so what I would say to you, Lauren, I'm just going to play devil's advocate for some things because I just want to like put out not ah! uh, not not like emotional <laughs> debate. I'm just going to like con you with some things. The the paper when you read the paper itself, they they basically look everybody. Peer-reviewed literature is just raw data. It's by scientists preparing data in a way that it should be, which is bland, and they explain how they do it all with all their scientific modeling. And if you don't know how to read it, it can be really confusing, but it's important because they always break it down in the discussion in a way that you can understand what they're talking about. And so I found the paper, and it gives their supplementary information text, which breaks down all the models they're using, which are like basic stochastic modeling for population growth, minus um, for weather conditions, the pre and post hunt harvest, this stuff like that. So what, what all that paper is stating, again, news always takes everything and sensationalizes it in some direction to get clicks. But I knew it was going to be a lot more boring and neutral than that. Go to the paper, read the paper, read their supplementary information. There are multiple points in that paper that say that wolves barely have an impact on deer collisions with cars based on their population and so what i would counter to you saying lauren is that like you are going to see wolf tracks and deer tracks on the side of the road because that's a a whole different level of spatial usage i mean those deer could have made those prints hours before those wolves got there and vice versa and also the number of deer tracks is represented by the population of deer versus wolf tracks and spatial use of the terrain based on their density so like there's so much more going on than that and and without getting too boring I'm, i'm trying to like keep it as basic as possible but this data is very complicated you're still using big words (laughs) the data is really complicated and it takes a lot of time to like kind of go through it but simply put and i'm going to break it down very simply i'm looking at it right now in this paper the results confirm that like wolf effects on deer abundance are much too small to affect for the net effect on wolves on uh driver vehicle collisions so like they're saying that like their modeling alone this is just modeling alone shows that like a increase in wolf population didn't actually increase or I'm sorry, decrease the amount of car collisions there was. It was so they stayed in the paper that it has to be some kind of behavioral effect on the deer that's causing these decreases in car pop, uh, impacts when wolves are present. And so they don't know what that is. No, they're not claiming to know. And if no, it's they not didn't, a behavioral, they didn't say that it's they're scaring the deer. Well, no. Again, that's sensationalized <laughs> by people that don't know what they're talking about. I mean, they clearly state they don't understand. They don't know what. But if it's not a behavioral effect causing the decrease, which is a shown decrease when wolves are present, twenty percent decrease in car strikes, they don't know why. They're just stating that's what the data shows. So that's all that paper says. People can ins- extrapolate whatever they want from it, but it's not that deer are afraid of. You know, I mean, they are afraid of wolves. Wolves freaking eat deer. But yeah. like, I don't know the exact mechanisms that keep the deer away from the road. They just are. And and that's all the paper states. And I think that's really important nuance that gets lost in all this sensationalized garbage. And like, no matter how someone feels about wolves, I think this is really important. There are upsides to their presence on the landscape and it may not affect us in any way, but like there are things that we don't like. Like I hate rattlesnakes, right? I, I just despise them being around, but they have lots of benefits and they may not benefit me directly, but this is one thing that I think we can all agree on that, hey, man, like if they're keeping deer away from the roadways, I mean, that's cool. We won't hit them as well, much. But it, it, let's, 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 let, let's let Becky weigh, on it, weigh yeah, in a little I, bit here. I have, I have one thing to say, though. Um, that's a way to fight for it, Lauren. 
Fight for shush, it. Shush, shush, shush. <laughs> um, she just shushed in me. one of the. Yeah, I did. <laughs> I could have used Spanish and just gotten kind of mean about it. Uh, but no panada. Yeah. So in one of the articles, you have to scroll super far down, but I did find a one-sentence paragraph saying both thinning of the deer population by wolves and behavior changes in quote-unquote fearful deer are factors of the drop-off. Yeah, and in the paper itself, they actually say that the wolves barely affected the deer population overall because their pop- the wolf population is way too low anyway. So it's like a 0.3% well, increase and, yeah, in the wolf at, population. At, at that time, I mean, now, now the wolf population has exponentially gone out of control. Well, I mean, this paper was published like three months ago. So, I mean, yeah. But anyway, yeah. Becky, yeah. so you're living out there in the Rocky Mountains. What's your wolf population like? What's the closest sustainable wolf population that you have? Oh, probably up by Salmon, Idaho. I mean, I'm I'm about five hours from Jackson Hole. There, there's definitely some down, you know, going oh, yeah. down towards Evanston. Um, so, in all reality, I can be in wolf country. Maybe not heavy wolf country, but three hours or so. We do have them drift through here. Um, confirmed. Sure. So, but I don't have to. It's not something that I have to worry about yet um there has been a report of two wolves that were seen chasing elk in southeast idaho that are just one mountain range away from where i hunt pretty hard one wolf doesn't concern me near as much as two this time of year um you know my first thought when i read the article besides well that's a load uh was huh wolves are patrolling the roads cool so we can hit them now instead of deer awesome <laughs> um, you know, one of the, <laughs> one of the things that they're talking about in that article, if I'm recalling it correctly, I don't have it in front of me right now, was that these wolves are patrolling back roads, pipelines, mountain roads, things like that. They're not strolling through the neighborhood like they're selling Girl Scout cookies. And that was I've a big part of the paper. On a mountain road. Yeah. I mean. That's what I was going to ask you. How many, how many. There's, there's no roadkill back there. Ever, yeah, really. right, right, and that and that that's what I was going to talk about too, Becky. Was you know, back in the backcountry where you're at, what are the chances of a roadkill on a mountain road in in the Rocky Mountains or even the back roads in a national forest in Wisconsin? Honestly, yeah, even the in, even the forest roads in northern Wisconsin, zzz, nope, yeah. Yeah, that's the thing that this paper kind of lacks that I was finding a little weird is that they don't really talk about where the roads are. Exactly. And, and maybe this, this is just the this is just the um, supplementary information. I was unable to read the full article. I, I need to buy it or something. I don't know. I, I just didn't have enough time. Um, so like, I, maybe we could dig into that farther and see if they do list their roadways yeah. because yeah. multiple publications show that wolves don't like being around major interstates and roadways. They're not so, like coyotes. So here, I mean, are the, here are the holes in the data and the study that I saw. Uh, Becky, were you done with your with your thought on it before I weigh in? Um, well, there's a couple other things. Yeah, For one, it's been shown that prey will use humans as basically a predator shield. Oh, yeah. Because of that. They don't want to come into town. Why do all the elks that they yes. Of course. Because the wolves and grizzlies aren't coming in there. <laughs> I mean, so essentially, if that's the case and the wolves are hazing these deer, that's essentially what they're saying, they're going to haze them into town, which is where the cars are going really fast and hit them. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, mean, I totally agree with that. Yeah. I mean, it's really well known. Yeah. That. What they're, they're, the theory of what they're saying, dependent on the situation, could be correct, but is it going to be correct in five years? Yeah. And, and that's what they talk about in the, there's an aggregate economic effects of the deer movement. And like, they think that damage to metropolitan households and timber productivity and agricultural damage is going to increase if deer move, uh, are utilizing the habitat in a different way. So that's a great observation. I could not agree more. I mean, there's obviously oh, negatives absolutely. too, and they're going to move those deer around in different ways. And it's, I totally agree with you. I mean, there's going to be some that take refuge in humanity. I mean, that's just a given. But so, so sure, sure. I mean, look at the private land in Colorado. Everybody thinks, oh, Colorado has so many elk and deer. No, they really don't. There are very few left in, especially Western Colorado. Eastern Colorado, you've got more. If you want to see deer and elk on, in Western Colorado, you don't go on the flat tops. You know, you don't go hunt rifle and meeker anymore unless <laughs> you have private land tags. Yeah. Because they've got so many predators left in the hills and there's so much hunting pressure they go to the private ranches and they don't leave those hay fields. My father-in-law said, you know, when he was a kid, he said, you never saw him in the low country. Now you don't see him in the high country. You yeah. know, you could also counteract that too by talking about how the resources and the safety are in the low country. Because like, you know, in New mm -hmm. Mexico, same thing. People always ask me where I want to deer hunt. Well, as close to agriculture as I can find. I mean, that's where they are. Mm -hmm. And it's because the high country isn't, is not just that it's, New Mexico's loaded with predators, man. We got all kinds of stuff. We got huge, robust mountain lion populations, bobcat populations. The deer aren't just down in the low country because they're avoiding predators. They're down in the low country because there's a buffet growing 24-7 down in those low fields for them. And all they have to do is come out of the canyon land and feast until they're, like ex bellies are distended on alfalfa and then head up and hide. I mean, it, th I agree with you that there's probably definitely a predator avoidance, um, I guess, piece of that puzzle. But I'm going to say also that the private land also has a, a nice infrastructure of resources for like cattle growth. Sure. And that's mm -hmm. going to attract elf, elk as well. Let's I see. Mean, I'm going to eat alfalfa or I'm going or to eat sagebush, uh, <laughs> yeah. you know, browse. Well, let me, let me, let me. Let me let me wrap Sorry, this Chris. up. Let me wrap this one up, Becky. We need to move on to the next article, and then uh, we're running a little bit long here. Um, so, and then weigh in. Just weigh in on my final comments, there, Becky, if if it pertains. Okay, so who is this? Who is this study sponsored by? That's my first question. You know, you're looking at the Auto Owners Insurance Association. So what companies make that board up that that are putting the money out there? And whether we like it or not, there are companies who are pushing for the green agenda who are not our friends. And we, we have an, op, an obligation as hunters to support companies that support us. So you take, you take something like, you know, Farm Bureau, Wisconsin Farm Bureau who is paying out thousands of dollars, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars a year for wolf depredation in Wisconsin, you know, where they one vote at that table for the, to say, we're going to dedicate our money to this. You know, what was their, who are the real stakeholders and who, who put the money out there to make this study happen? Or was it truly an independent study? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's oh, I, I think it's important. sneaky, slimy stuff. 
Well, yeah. I mean, the thing about this paper that's nice is they do list the authors and they link to their credentials on this paper. I agree with you, Chris, and that's super important. Follow yeah. the money. Yes. See where I – mean, anytime you read anything, I'm going to raise my eyebrow – follow the money and i'm just gonna say it on air right now while i have it up right now this paper was published by jennifer l rayner who is a department of economics in connecticut corbett granger who's a department of agriculture and applied economics in the university of madison and dominic parker who is also a department of agricultural and applied economics in the university of madison wisconsin so okay so we've got yeah. we've got department well, madison's of- the most liberal City of Wisconsin. <laughs> All right. Yeah, here we go. Come on now. <laughs> no, w- w- seriously. So we've got we've got an economics director, an agricultural, yeah, and agricultural directors, but two economics directors and an agricultural director from Vermont. No, no, Connecticut. Connecticut. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Connecticut has a real wolf problem too. Um, <laughs> you know that that are fueling this study. So. Uh, that's where I'm calling. That's where I'm calling bullshit on the whole thing. Is we've got non-stakeholders that are pu- pumping out a st- pumping the money into this study, and then who released it to the media? I mean, who did the press release on this thing? Because reporters, I can tell you, as a public information officer for the Department of Natural Resources here in Indiana, you can pump these news stories out to the news media. They don't look at the data. They look at what you write, and then they, boom, they turn it around. And, Is it going to make me money? Yes. Yes. So that's what I'm saying. We have to be very discretionary when we look at these things and we decide who we're backing in the whole thing. You know, who are we finding credibility in? We have to, yeah. like you said, Seth, we have to follow the money. At the same time, I will say, and I'm cautious to call out a university only because I also work for a university and I don't let my political views influence my data that I'm collecting. So, like, I don't know anything about these people. So, like, you know, I'm just cautious to I'm to just, nail I'm just, a Wisconsin or a, to nail a professors and stuff. But I know what you're saying. And I totally I'm, agree with what you're saying. Totally I, basing I nailed, that on. I nailed the city. Yeah. I'm, not, not yeah. Matt. Yeah. I'm, I'm basing it totally on their areas of expertise. And economics is not a wolf, is is not the, they may have needed him to crunch some numbers. Becky, did you find anything to add to there? I'm sorry for cutting you off. No, no, you're good. I uh, I was thinking, you know, it'd be interesting to see what the statistical difference would be in your populations of wolves and wolves that have been raised, say, you know, the wolves that are dealing with in Arizona and New Mexico that have been pen raised. Yeah, they might come into town more, so that might be more. If they do come into town more, that might be more of a. I I wanted to see GPS data. Yeah, and, and you know my other question too with it is, I grew up in Connecticut. You hit deer like you snap mosquitoes. Oh, all the time. I forgot so we've got a resident that, expert on Connecticut. I'm sorry, Becky. So with that being the case. 50% of the coyotes, or I'm sorry, 50% of the diet of coyotes in that area is made up of deer. So in theory, would that not be the same the same as what they're saying the wolves would do? Well, then how come how come that's not the case there? You know, are these yeah. coyotes not trotting the roads and everything else as well? I mean, you know, you're going to break it down into a smaller smaller comparison. What, one would counter that by... predators. One would counter that by talking about like a coyote's mesopredator status versus a wolf's apex predator status and how they distribute wolves. I mean, I'm, 
watched coyotes walk through a herd of deer and the deer don't really care but that's my mule deer they're like twice the size of an eastern deer so like yeah, i mean it's it's a whole I mean, different ball game i don't really have a lot to fawns here are yeah. the major coyote uh well, food yeah. Yeah. yeah they're just i mean they'll take they'll take the down week. big deer but yeah yeah well correct but at the same time if that's the case then a doe who's trying to protect her fawn is going to move oh yeah, totally away from the roadway yeah right i mean so it's it's just interesting how you know and like you said there's no wolves in connecticut so what do they have invested in as we always know it's all the money and all the science in the world can be cherry-picked i mean it's science isn't science anymore unfortunately well, the, in the, reality there's there's very little that is the the last thing i would say about this is wisconsin has got such a low grasp on the actual number of wolves that they have that mm -hmm. I don't even know how you can put a study like this together because if you talk to the people that do or that are supposed to be doing the uh, actual data harvest things about the number of wolves in Wisconsin, they really don't know. So how can well, you how can you make that assessment? And I've and I've said before on other podcasts, I've even heard them say, like the biologists say and the experts say. Our counting method that we use now does not work for this population because the counting method that we're using should be used on a population of, you know, 300. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. It's tough. Yeah. I mean, that, you need to have good data. That's the problem, too. It's, yeah. It's, and that costs money. That costs money. That's key. And, and, and when you've got an organization that um, is willing to give you the money, then you've got to ensure that that organization wants true results and not just talking points that they can use to push an agenda. So you have to be very, very careful when you look at this, this sort of stuff and these sort of, especially the, the media releases on it. So definitely, yeah, it, it was, I mean, of course it's going to happen, but it's just upsetting on how the media took it, sensationalized it, misrepresented it. And, you know, people are just going to read the headline and that's it. It's a perfect echo chamber for what we've been echoing this entire podcast. Take the time. Think. Go in with an open mind. Look at the data for real. Don't just have a predetermined bias and think. And then and add that to your arsenal of, you know, well-thought-out defenses of our lifestyle. All right. Let's wrap that one up or we're going to be here for two hours. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Dakota 283 offers you unparalleled protection for your hounds. We're talking about military-grade kennel crates. Uh, I got, got one of these two-door kennel crates here at the house. It is super heavy-duty. It's got slap latches on it that are stainless steel. Easily fits in the back of an SUV, or if you're traveling with a camper shell, it's a great way to keep your dog protected while you are traveling. You just got to check out their Dash Series. This is a watering system, and I've used a lot of these portable waterers over the years. But this system is all integrated into one unit, and the way it's designed out of high-impact plastic, the water stays in the tank when you're not using it because you can put a plug in it. Check them out. Uh, the 3.5 is also compact enough that I can store it behind the seat of my pickup truck while I'm out hunting when it's super cold. I've had exterior tanks before, and as soon as I go to cold climates, then I've got to figure out how I'm going to get water to my hounds, and the dash takes care of that. So check out Dakota 283 at Dakota283.com and at checkout, 
Enter the code HXP10 and get 10% off of your order. The last article, we're going to skip one and we're going to save the next one, one of them for the next roundup. But uh, <laughs> the average Americans think they could survive two weeks in, a, in, a, in the wild. Okay, let me read the whole headline. Average American thinks they could survive two weeks in the wild despite lack of experience. Who put this article out? This was an article by Fox News. And okay. so this is a conservative news base, uh, so to speak. And uh, who knows anymore? And, and I feel like it doesn't matter. This is such a non edgy topic. <laughs> I know. This is this yeah. is purely for comic relief. Okay. Yeah. So my first thought when I look at this thing is like an, the average American thinks they could survive two weeks. Well, <laughs> considering that most people can't pass a McDonald's drive through without stopping for a, for a Big Mac, <laughs> you know, let's face it, people, you can survive for two weeks with zero food, no food. As long as you have water, you can survive. That's so that's, that's where I'm going to kick it. the conversation off. I was going to say, I, I work, I, so I work out in the field. I only have about 20 office days a year and I've worked with a huge gamut of people that rotate in for different field seasons over the year. And I'm going to tell you right now, even in my field where this is like usually crafting towards people that work in the field, you can't even believe the variability that I've, my wife used to work out in the field with us for a while and she had to fireman's carry a person back to the truck who passed out in this July heat because this person only brought four ounces of water for 120 degree heat blacked out, went blind from like heat exhaustion. And I'm like, you're supposed to be a field person. You should know better. You know? And so it's like the average American, I was going to say that the average American sure. could, could survive two weeks if they were in a temperate environment and they seriously like were near a stream and just sat under the pine tree for two weeks because they could just eat their like fat reserves until they exactly up and then they could and just it walk was out. like consistent so, like sixty degree temperature and that's not, what I'm saying a temperate yeah. environment yeah. yeah yeah Becky yeah and I want to get your I want to get your take on this Becky because you live out there like where people can really die out in the wilderness oh boy <laughs> I'm not gonna lie the poison ivy statistic made me giggle uh thirty five percent of people and, felt and they Enlighten our followers about the poison ivy comment in the article. Yeah, I think it was 35% of people felt that they could uh, confidently identify poison ivy. Well, if that's your biggest concern, I think you you just might survive. Calm down there, gr uh, Bear Grylls. <laughs> Jeremiah Johnson's rolling over in his grave right now. My God. Um, most of these people couldn't survive a week without six months worth of toilet paper and they're putting gas in plastic bags. So. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I may be a little cynical, but I have a real lack of uh, confidence in the human population, to be honest. <laughs> and it's like, I think needs to happen a little bit more, you know, like, it's, it's mm -hmm. with those, with those gasoline people. <laughs> the the desert is so gnarly. Obviously, it's the desert, right? And so I, I can know you're like a totally extreme in the other direction of me. And it's no, like... she lives in Nevada. Oh, Don't... I thought you said you lived in Montana. My bad, no. sorry. Oh, yeah. So we're in the same boat, Becky, if you're down low in Nevada. It's like... But she lives, she lives in the... Becky, tell him where you live. Yeah, where do you live, Becky? 
I'm up in northeastern Nevada, but we hunt all over the state. I used to live in southern Nevada, and I don't <laughs> now. <laughs> but I mean, we're we're super hot and dry in summer, and super mm. snowy and cold in the winter. Windy all go. the time. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of like that, sort of, but not super cold. But anyway, yeah, like the first problem is you don't find water. Like Chris said, you're so dead so fast. Yep. And how do you even find water in the desert? I, I couldn't survive two weeks out there. I'm a desert. This is what I do. If you drop me off where I work in the middle of the desert, I'm dead. There's nothing I could do. I could maybe try to eat cacti for a little while, but I'd expend more energy and time just trying to get to their like fleshy pulp. Then I, it's just like, yeah, the average American, the only way they could survive the two weeks is just sitting there and living off their fat reserves in the shade. In my opinion, like it, it really is dependent on terrain. I just think that's hilarious. But yeah, <laughs> you know, the thing that I saw in it, I, I started considering the different types of, I mean, the, the article is vague. What does it say again? It says thinks they could ter- survive two weeks in the wild. Well, where is that Six. wild at? You know, if That's you put, yeah. are you are you putting them on the 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 ice packs of of the Antarctica? <laughs> or are you putting them in? You know, if you put me in my home environment here in Indiana, shoot, man, survival or living because I could live. I've, I've done it and I know how to do it. But you drop me where Becky's at or where Seth is at. Man, that's going to be a lot, lot tougher situation. And uh, man, I can tell you when we were in, when we were in the Gulf War, the Persian Gulf War. You talk about a desert. That's a desert, and water was crucial. You're talking about everything from solar stills to whatever. You know, oh, yeah. trying to figure I mean, that that stuff already. out. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, what, what kind of terrain? Most people don't know what direction. <laughs> they don't know what state they're in half the time, let alone anything else as far as survivalism. I mean, and it's funny you talk about Antarctica. You know, I was, oh, I was listening to another podcast. Don't hate me. Uh, and they were <laughs> we all do. About, it's a, we all do. It's okay. <laughs> we were talk, they were talking about this, uh, I don't know if he was like a bush pilot, but he was up there and his plane crashed and he just had a little like, 10 by 12 survival raft or whatever. So he's on this ice flow and he had polar bears coming in and what he would do, he was there for three days and what he would do is he'd see them bears coming in and he'd get under his raft and when he could hear him smelling that raft, he'd throw the raft up and jump up and chase after him. He spooked him off three times for three days. And I'm just sitting here thinking, how did this man's balls fit in the plane cab with him when they brought him back from the rest of the <laughs> I mean, I would have been like, you know, this is my moment. I'm done. <laughs> for real. Like, people have watched way too many, you know, Hugh Glass movies and all that, and they think that's that they're the thing. Like, that's it. I mean, every year people either die or come very close to death in White Sands National Monument. Like, two years ago, uh, some French tourists died out there, and they were only out there for 45 minutes. But they were out in the, they were out in the middle of the day in July temperatures. And on that that white sand, that reflectance is like imagine snow in 110 degree heat. You know what I mean? It's like yeah. it's insane. And they they brought like one little water bottle for three people. And if you're not acclimated to that kind of extreme temperature and dryness, like today was six percent humidity out here at my house. You know what I mean? It was hundred. It was like almost hundred degrees. What was the humidity? So, 
six percent. Oh my gosh, I love. I don't even know what right that now. feels like. No, it's insane. It, we're in such an extreme drought, uh, um, Becky. I don't know if you are too. I'm assuming you are. I think Nevada's in like exceptional drought as well. But this is the worst yeah. year I've ever documented. Like it is horrible here right now. I'm sitting so, in a chair right now, sweating out here in my unair conditioned studio because we're. I don't even know. I bet our humidity's up in the eighty percent. But let me let me one up you a little bit, Seth. So we've got Clifty Falls State Park, which is, let me describe this thing for you a little bit. It is in the city of Madison, Indiana, which is not a big town. It's only about 30,000 people. So it's not a, it's not a huge metropolitan area by Eastern standards. Is but it, it liberal it, too? No. I was going to say, I thought that was a liberal one. No. To okay. Yeah. Very I'm looking at it right now. I'm looking at it right now. Continue. <laughs> uh, so Clifty Falls State Park has this canyon that runs down the middle of it and it's not major i'm talking about a 200 foot elevation change from the top to the bottom and it's steep you couldn't you couldn't traverse it without uh, climbing gear or uh, the man-made steps but regularly we have people who get to the bottom of the canyon that they call out an emergency call and our officers had to respond to it to get them out of the bottom of the canyon because it was getting dark and we oh, would no. we would get there and it's like what is your emergency it says i don't think i can make it back out of the canyon well what one why did you get down here why did you come down here to begin with and this is not an emergency other than the fact that you're fat and you're too lazy <laughs> to walk out Oh my gosh! Yeah, I'm looking at the I'm looking at it right now on Google Earth. There's even a place called the Clifty Inn inside oh, yeah. the park. Yeah, like, oh yeah, it's not that dangerous. It like, is not a near death experience. No, but they think <laughs> it is. And yet, yeah. and yet, well, wasn't there some country singer last year that got lost for like X amount of hours and had to call nine one one because he got own, lost on, on like own, thirty acres or something on his own property? Yeah. <laughs> He's probably yeah. from Florida Georgia Line. Oh. oh God! Probably. So. <laughs> I'm okay with that because I don't like them either. So. Well, you know, I'm getting lost. I don't even know who that is. You know, Becky, like getting lost in our country is a lot harder because we have like an amazing view of everywhere, right? So we just orient ourselves with mountain ranges. But if you're in like super thick, like okay, I've never been hunting with Shorty, but I've Google Street viewed like the places that he lives around. You could get mm-hmm. into that mesquite jungle nightmare and you could get turned around in there if you didn't know where you're going i could honestly see that like lauren if me oh, and you were in those riparian thickets and we were raccoon hunting guaranteed you could get turned around in there at night and have a well, hard time getting out let's let's it's say this you say that when my husband went back east with me and we went coon hunting that night he's like i could get turned around here that's just straight hardwoods and yeah. with the mesquite when i was living in texas i mean it's if you can't see and you don't have that internal bearing. Yeah. Then you could you could certainly. I'd be curious to see what I'd like to see even more than the statistics they gave is what was the reason that made those people think that that they would have a chance of doing that for two weeks or whatever it was. Like, what was their reasoning? Oh, it was just people sure are crazy, foolhardy, is what it is. You wouldn't believe how many people think they could like take a mountain lion if it was like going after you to kill you for real. Man, those things weigh like 150 pounds. They are infinitely stronger than a person so many people think that they're so much stronger because we've lost touch with outdoors in general so much that people have like got these incredibly 
um, <laughs> false views of their own mortality. And There's we, ladies that think they can just walk up to a sow and cub grizzly bear and, <laughs> you know, be okay with it. Or a moose, a cow moose in Yellowstone. Yeah. I'm, I'm waiting for the stories to come out of Yellowstone about, you know, get. you always see it every year, like the, the bison that's... The buffalo. Flip, oh, yeah, yeah flipping, the, flipping the dude over his head because he thought it was cool to go out there and take a picture. There was so a whole I'm, class in school that I took, like that you could take, that was all about wildlife person, like interactions like that. Because there's a whole specialty of field about how to minimize those reactions. And I'm just like, I just can't believe how dumb people are. You walk up to a sour grizzly and her babies. It's just so crazy. But anyway. Well, it's yeah. it's Disney. But I feel way more confident in the three of you surviving out in the wilderness than I do about myself. <laughs> we do too. I, you know i haven't been given the tools or taken the time to give myself the tools to do that and even just coon hunting with a gps in the middle of a swamp i get turned around and will end up going 400 yards in the wrong direction you know if andrea my friend andrea listens to this (laughs) you know she can attest to the fact that i'm not the best navigator when it comes to being in the middle of nowhere in the woods. Um, you know, I'd probably like try and like, Oh, what would bear grills do? What did I see on TV one day? I'm the, per- I'm, <laughs> the, I'm the person in that article. You guys, I'm <laughs> the person. Becky, I'm going to get your, pers- I'm, I'm with you, Lauren. I'm not great yeah. on, oh, sorry. What's that, Chris? I was going to get your perspective on this being an outfitter. You know, and seeing people from all walks of life come, we ran an outdoor adventure ministry outfitting business here from our home, and and we commonly got people from metropolitan areas that would come out, and you would you would literally think they were on the set of Castaway to advise when Tom Hanks made fire, you know, and. And they're use, they're using lighter fluid and dry kindling. And it's like I made fire, you know. Yeah. All of a sudden, the inner man has come out, and boom! Here here they go. So I want to get your perspective on on what you see as an outfitter, Becky. You kind of see the gamut. You have guys that, I mean, you could have a neon sign flashing, "Bring this." and they don't, or, oh, well, I hunted here, and I was fine. It's like, oh, whatever, it's your your deal, your hunt, you know? And then you have guys who bring so much stuff, and they're so prepared that it's impractical. Um, you know, I, I, I've really been surprised by, by some of the guys that we've had out with how quickly they get their bearings and the fact that they really do pay attention. You know, there's a guy that we had, and he hunted Alaska and the Yukon quite a bit, and he's like, you know, when our float plane was flying in, he goes, I'm, I'm marking things and looking at stuff. So, you know, in case something happens, he goes, I can find my way out of here. And I think some of it probably comes down to personality differences and the, the different personality profiles as well. You know, who's naturally more prepared person, who's more of a fly by the seat of their pants and figure things out along the way person. Um, but you kind of see the whole gamut, really. Yeah. I, and that's, I can relate a story. So if you go to the Appalachian mountains to bear hunt, you know, a guy, a gra- guy will grab a lead strap 
and make sure he's got a Garmin and you don't leave the truck without your radio. Other than that, if you're carrying anything else, it's just added weight. And mm-hmm. the first time that I went down there, you know, I, was, I had a, a a pack and was grabbing my pack. Well, then I quickly figured out it was a, it was a rifle carry pack as well. I quickly figured out that trying to get through the mountain laurel with a pack on and and a rifle inside the scabbard was extremely cumbersome and was not worth the effort. So, you know, I was way I was that guy that was way over prepared the first time that I hunted in uh bear hunted in the Appalachian Mountains. Oh, for sure. And and things can change so much when you're in varied terrain too. I mean the only thing I hate more than hiking is wearing a pack. So I'm, I'm not a very happy camper in the winter a lot of times because uh, I'm doing both of those things. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, the end result is worth it. But I'm sitting there with a the truck like talking to myself about, oh, I'm going to get a hunt now. i got to carry a freaking pack and walk this <laughs> you got to yeah, My deal, though, is I never want to be that guy that's out there. It's like I was too lazy to carry my water with me, and now I need water. Or, you're gonna hate me. Yeah. Or I or I'm the I'm the guy that or I'm the guy that that you know, all of a sudden I I don't want to be not prepared. And maybe that's my profession, that's Marine Corps, I don't know. But it's it's just it's just stuff that you carry with you. And I try I don't like to be the guy that's not prepared. Exactly. You are you are a very organized man, a very prepared man, a methodical man. I am not. Well, number one, I'm not a number one. I'm not a man. (laughs) That's the first. Yes, that is the first. Or not going for me. Yeah, (laughs) depends. (laughs) That's how my brother is. We make fun of him all the time. He he freaking brings like (laughs) no. (laughs) You can fight Ryan, Lauren. You saw him. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, my brother brings like twenty totes worth of crap when we go hunting. I'm like, what are you bringing? All your makeup and everything out here, like. (laughs) Golly. He's like, you never know if we'll need my double action magnum chainsaw. You'll, you know be, gl- I mean? you'll be glad I've got it. Yes, but exactly. It's, it's funny because I was on the phone with my mom a couple days ago and she's like, you know, you've just always been, uh, you just fly by the seat of your pants, whatever happens, happens type of person. And I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> she, like To the her, that's a negative thing. So... Ninety-eight of the time it works out good, Lauren. But two percent of the time, my brother has totally saved me. So shout out to you, Ryan. You have <laughs> saved, you've gotten my back hardcore several times in the past with your ultra preparedness, and I appreciate it. So thank you. I've done the minimalist <laughs> hunting thing. We used to pack in in seventeen fifties, you know, pre eighteenth century hunting adventures. I didn't think you were that old. Uh, well, <laughs> we were, yes, I'm getting close, but no, we we <laughs> good good one, Becky. No, it was it was uh, it's a actually a deal called wilderness trekking, and uh, doing minimalist type hunting. You do whatever. You two stop laughing. We are just we are both losing it. I know. Damn, it's that awesome. That was a good one. Dude. <laughs> so the only thing I have my moments. Getting back on track. This is my show. You guys oh. settle down. Mm. <laughs> you could put your big boy pants on now, didn't you, old man? I'm scared. I'm scared. I, I think they were actually technically referred to as trousers back then, but oh. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've done the Continue, minimal, Chris. minimalist hunting thing, 
and but but yeah, I have a whole whole level of respect for those people that are like, dude, you don't need all that crap, you know, because it's I I have a tendency like to to pack way more than I need, for sure. I do on vacation. <laughs> that's a, that's the thing right or there even, or even bear camp or even new mexico like half of my little tiny rv or camper closet i didn't even use now, getting back to to vacation thing okay so we'll be getting ready to go on vacation and and i've got a backpack that i'm going for a two-week excursion a small backpack you know it's got the essential stuff in it i've got a I've got everything I need, and here comes my wife out with a carry-on and a personal item and a and a and a check-in bag. It's like we're going for five days. Well, I've got the ironing board in there, and and the iron and a flattening iron and a curling iron and all my makeup and blah blah. blah. I'm just like, dude, what are you doing? So I'm just the opposite. To, to be clear, of both. <laughs> Do what? To be clear. I want to hear what Becky. When, I want to hear what Becky okay. said again. I missed it. I'm the weird combination of both, where like, and it's it's totally dependent on item. There's things that I should be real concerned about that I'm like, eh, we'll see what happens. And there's things that I should be like, eh, we'll see what happens. And I am like OCD, anal, over the top, over. It's it's odd, you know. But I feel like the guys who really have that that combination down. It's like the sheep and the goat hunters. I mean, the dudes are cutting the end of their toothbrush off to cut down weight. Oh, those guys, but they're I guys never understood stuff. that. Dude, sheep hunters are such a fad. I'm not even going to go down that road, Ooh. man. <laughs> they are. I'm calling them out, dude. I've sheep hunted. I've killed eight Barbary, man. I've done it all in that regard. And I'm in New Mexico, so whatever. But those guys, sheep hunting's a total fad. Man, anyway, it's badass, and sheep hunters are badasses. I'm not going to say they're not. I thought not, we but... need to band together. Come on now, Seth. No, no, I'm not dissing. I love sheep <laughs> oh, hunting. Okay. It's just I'm a, just oh, saying it's, just it's a, a fad. fad. That's all I'm saying, and I can't wait for that fad to die because I miss <laughs> Barbary hunting. Anyway. It's just way more popular than it needs <laughs> yeah. to be? Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, dude, the Kuyu guys made it like a badass thing, so it's like, oh, I shot a Barbary sheep at 850 yards with my 338 Lapua. And I'm like, that's cool. I killed one with a marble. You know what I mean? Like, but yeah, it's like, it, this is totally the fad. It's because it is hard. It's really difficult. True. Okay. Sensational aside, it is difficult. It's, it's fun. It takes a high level of athleticism and marksmanship. If you're a bad stalker, Ooh, calling you out. And then anyway, but yeah, it, it is. But anyway, it's a total fad. Continue. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't mean to cut you really off, Becky. Oh, you're good. I don't mean more like the Northern Guards where they're up in British Columbia and all that. And it's, I mean, there's, there's that's a whole other ball game. I feel like, and someday I'll find out maybe. But yeah, it's kind of like the fly fishing where it's like the let me let me twirl my my waxed mustache exactly. a little bit and ponder upon what I'm going to say in my trousers from. But was what year was it, Chris? Seventeen. Seventeen fifty. Yeah. Oh good. Yeah, they were but they were drop front and uh, le- brain tan leggings back then. So go ahead. Drop front, drop back. Nice call, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> but what I wanted to say... It's back when the men wore the pants. Well, maybe... Who knows? Maybe you were into kilts, too. That's um, true. I've actually... So, I've actually... Yeah, I've actually trekked with guys in kilts. Pretty entertaining. The poison, well, I, poison ivy inspections around the campfire are interesting. 
Mm, oh, I was going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how tall that poison ivy is growing. Um, okay, interesting. <laughs> anyway, um, I've never had the opportunity to like do a pack-in type of hunt, but I, w- I wanted to just clarify. I did say I overpack for va- vacation. If it's allowable, you know, if the airline's like, well, you get two free carry-on bags and... Or, or checked bags. Don't be trying and to I, make up for it now. No, I have, I have picture proof multiple times. So I will do backpacking like solo trips. Like I've gone to Ecuador and Costa Rica alone for like two and a half, two weeks. And I'll pack everything into a backpack that fits carry-on yep. size. Yep. So, so I, it's, I know I, it's possible for me, but it's... It takes a lot of brains for me to figure that out. Yeah, this this is like a major rabbit path, but I and I appreciate it. It's been fun. Um, let's wrap this up. I think I think it's. Uh, have we talked about hounds at all in this podcast, or have we yeah. just yeah a little bit yeah but uh, I told you earlier I waxed eloquently why I love my dogs and hunting with them. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I think it's good to have conversations like this, something that's a little bit off the beaten path at times. And that's what we hope to do with Point Blank. Becky, I'm going to give you the opportunity to uh, to wrap wrap this up with some final thoughts and uh, anything we didn't get out there. No, not, not particularly. My final thought in this moment is if this dog barking out in the yard doesn't quit, we're going to have to have a conversation. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it's a conversation. Uh, it's pretty one-sided. Yeah. <laughs> mine, are, mine are doing the same thing. It's dinner time. Past Lauren, dinner time. Lauren, your final thoughts. Uh, well, it's just been fun talking to you guys and uh, especially seeing uh, Seth's scientific perspective and knowledge about studies like we talked about with the deer and auto thing. So I appreciate that. And... We just need to follow the money, dudes. Just follow the money. And be on the offense, okay? All right. Seth. Hey, uh, I just uh, I really appreciate it, you guys. It's been fun. Becky, let's come come down to New Mexico. You're not that far away. We'll, we'll chase some hairs together. It's been fun talking to you, dude. Heck, yeah, absolutely. Next time, we'll definitely, next time I got a buddy that lives in Farmington, next time I head down there, I'll have to, have to make a loop down. Yeah, it's only Way a seven-hour drive. <laughs> yeah. So, what's, yeah, no, well, otherwise, can, guys, what's seven awesome. more hours, Becky? You can meet <laughs> out here. It's nothing. It's the honestly. VLA. There you go. Hours to go shopping town. That's <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Well, guys, I appreciate the time that you spent. You know, I, again, I just think it's important that we 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 talk about some of these issues and and uh, start developing that narrative, so that when these topics come up, because. I mean, fa- like it or not, whether we whether we think about it or not, these types of things pop up on our social media feeds every day, and we've got to be able to to speak on them from an informed standpoint rather than an emotional standpoint. And one thing we can guarantee is that the people that are against hunting will always come at it from the emotional standpoint, more so than the scientific data backed standpoint. And the more we can, can have these discussions and talk about things like why we hunt, 
you know, if we look at why we hunt, I've asked that question to several people and you get a lot of, it's our heritage, it's our legacy, it's our, you know, it's what we've always done. There's a, there are a lot of things that human beings have done over the course of history that are very hard to justify. And hunting is a thing that can be justified if it's approached in the proper way. There is a way that, that we cannot argue the benefits of hunting, but simply saying my granddaddy hunted, my daddy hunted, and I'm hunting too, isn't always going to cut it because they're tearing down statues across the United States right now that, that represent a history of, and, and it's, it's not just about that. I'm just saying that, that we can't justify it based on legacy type stuff. We it's, have to, we have to be able to come at it from a different angle. That's not the real reason you're doing it. No, no, there's, there's something more like than that. People, I feel like people need to know where to expend their energy. I mean, I've been known to be bowed up and call someone a moron, pretty much. That was a waste. I've wasted more breath dealing with people it didn't matter with. You got to know which battles to pick. Let the let the blowhards be blowhards. Uh, you're, you're never going to change. You know, all they want to do is fight, anyways. You need to put your energy where it's going to do the most good. And and bowing up on Facebook isn't going to do it. Yeah. Yeah. If you're happily married, you're exquisitely familiar with knowing where to pick your battles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, the best piece of marriage advice I ever heard was seek peace, not justice. And um, uh, that doesn't always mean caving in, because if you overlay that on the one of my favorite quotes from Sun Tzu is the ultimate art of warfare is to subdue your enemy without fighting. Just take into mm -hmm. account that the the emotionally charged irrationally based individuals who speak out against hunting will always expose themselves if you give them the opportunity and but we have to be informed on the current events talking points and things and and one of those hot topics the reason we spent so much time on wolves is because it is the icon of of the the anti-hunting crowd and we have to be able to talk about it so i appreciate the input and um thanks guys you want to wrap it up seth yeah guys well i mean i thought you were gone i thought you were just gonna throw the tagline on it brother. i was waiting <laughs> i know me too but it's simple guys thanks for everyone for coming you follow your hounds and i'll follow mine <laughs>